it was KDE 1.0 beta something. So it was super early. <laughs> but I was really impressed, not because of the desktop itself, but because I learned that this was all done by volunteers, not by there's no company doing it, right? It was just volunteers. Lots of people all over the world, somehow over the internet, are developing um, operating system, user interface applications. Um, and I never met in person. I just do this everything like as a community. And I find this, this was really mind blowing to me. With me on the show today is Frank Karlicek. He is the managing director and founder of Nextcloud. Frank. Thank you for taking the time to come on and chat. Thanks a lot for having me. So I believe we first met, it was at Linux Fest Northwest, and I can't remember if it was 2014 or 2015. Um, I believe it was one of those two years. You were talking with somebody that I knew. I kind of wandered over and, you know, said hi and just listened to the conversation that you two were having. And then you had to get up and go to do something else. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this guy looks so familiar. I just, I know I know him. I just can't place where I know him. <laughs> so I asked my friend, I was like, I know who that is. Who is it? And he was like, oh, that's Frank. He's the guy who started OwnCloud. And I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. I wish I wish I knew that at the moment because <laughs> I had used OwnCloud. I now use NextCloud. Um, and I wanted to thank you personally. I forgot to then. So now is my chance to do now. So thank you personally for me for the software that you've made because it is fantastic stuff and I love the ability to be able to use it. Thanks a lot. Uh, of course, I don't really do the software anymore. Um, we have like better developers than me to actually <laughs> do it nowadays. And we have a very big uh, international uh, volunteer community um, who is actually doing the software. And I'm, I'm not, I, I mean, it's true that I did the version 1.0 alone, but I'm really happy that basically no code is left from that. Nowadays, <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> so people always love, you know, origin stories. So let's let's start there. Do you remember when you were younger, the first computer that you were ever able to use? Like, was it a family computer? Was it a mm. school computer? I do, actually. So um, an, an uncle of mine um, uh, was a math uh, teacher and he had a programmable, a programmable pocket calculator. And he, uh, he gave it to me at one point to, to play around with it. And it was programmable in basic. Mm -hmm. And uh, before that, or in parallel, I'm not really sure, I already read a book, um, which I already was like very eager to learn everything. So I learned all the commands. And in, in my mind, I already wrote programs because I, I couldn't really try it. And then I got this like pocket calculator and I tried it. But it was, I mean, he had a, a one-line display, right? Mm -hmm. Just imagine writing software if you only see it like one line at a time. Um, it was, it, but it was fun, yeah. So when you were younger, did you did you always want to work in technology and with computers, or was that something that you decided later on in life? To be honest, this was always totally clear to me. I always wanted to do something with IT and technology and, and computers. It was, I mean, when I was really young, I of course had other interests too, but once I really started to play, work, especially with software development, with writing applications, I was so impressed by the infinite uh, opportunities and possibilities there are. So basically you can just, I don't know, sit alone in your basement and write like all these nice, complicated, cool applications. Um, and I was just so, I don't know, just the, the opportunities and the, the creativity, this was so fascinating to me. So I always wanted to do that. 
And then later, of course, when the internet uh, came along in the early 90s, um, then, of course, it was completely clear, well, this is the future. I really want to build the future. I want to play with the new stuff. And I, I never, never considered anything else. Yeah, one thing I love about software development is if you can dream it up and you then apply yourself, you can make whatever you came up with. Yes. You know, with, with hardware, there's a lot of limitations just because, you know, physics. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, with software, we definitely have the the leeway to, you know, even if a piece of software doesn't have, you know, if you're writing something with C or C++ and or I guess it would be more applicable to say with C++ and, you know, it doesn't have a class that you need to accomplish something. Well, you can yes. just write the class and then use that. Absolutely. So it's really it's really open ended for whatever you can think of. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're interested in in planes or cars or other things, um, that's great. But it's impossible to build a car or a plane yourself, right? But software, you can, you, you can, right? I mean, it might be a lot of work if it's something complicated, but most things you can really do a lot on your own. And this was always like, I really liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, other than uh, one interview that I've done with uh, Hugh Blemings, he was the former director of the Open Power Foundation. All of my guests have been Americans. He was Australian. Uh, and it was really interesting to hear him discuss how things were in the 80s and 90s with respect to technology in Australia. Mm. Now, you're German. Germany has a much smaller population than the U.S., and it did then, too. Mm -hmm. And with a smaller population, obviously, there's well, just simply mathematically less people that can be into any certain things. However, yeah. there's a difference in culture. Now, we Americans definitely stole a ton of culture from you guys. So thanks for that as well. <laughs> but there's definitely distinct differences between you know German culture and American culture. So because of that, maybe it was easier for you to find other friends or other people who were into computers when you were younger. Growing up, did you have close friends who were into computers and technology as much as you were? Yeah, yeah, definitely in school. Um, I had a few friends. I think we had three or four like friends and we were in the same class and uh, we were interested in similar things. And then later um, got uh, a similar computer. Um, so we had um, we had an IBM PC clones, um, which was a bit unusual at the time because most people had like I don't know Commodore C sixty four or Amigas or Ataris or something like that. Um, and the IBM computers there were always more business oriented, which for for kids means no games. Um, <laughs> it was a problem, of course. But then, uh, yeah, we, we, we started to develop our own games because there was no other option. So, for example, I saw a friend of mine, um, Tetris. I think it was a Commodore 64 Tetris. And I really liked it a lot, And but it was not available on an, on an IBM system. So we, we wrote our own Tetris at the time. And this was a group of friends and we did this together and we yeah, exchanged floppy disks at school. And <laughs> it was really fascinating. Nowadays, people can't imagine how you can even work with a computer. This was not connected to the internet. But um, yeah, it's of course totally possible. Yeah, now here uh, in the US, I remember when computers first started to take off, I remember talking to people and them saying like, oh yeah, you know, I have a computer that my, my dad uses a computer at work or whatever, but you know, well, why would we want that here at the house? Um, and I always remember thinking like, well, why wouldn't you want, like, don't you like games? Don't you want to play games? Um, so did, did the move in, from just being seen as a business tool to something that a lot of people want, did that happen rather quickly in Germany or was that kind of a slow process there as well? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's a, depends on the generation. I mean, there was a very active 
like hacker software developer scene in the 80s um with all the the usual computers similar to mm -hmm. the us i think there's not a lot of difference but it's for like kids right and played with it and i think a lot of kids started with games and then started okay then we can do a little bit more a little bit more and then there this whole culture of like hacking and building things and creating actually things um, happened and yeah and then later in the 90s i mean a lot of people started like go to college to university and then this moved into the business world mm -hmm. i mean I, I don't think there were a lot of computers in companies in the 80s i mean there were definitely some in areas where you really needed but it was not very widespread i remember okay. that my my mother who worked in a, at, a, at the office at a time at some point came to me and said yeah we'll get computers next year and she was not really sure if she can if she knows how to use it and so on and yeah i mean it definitely took some time to yeah go into every company so people seem to get introduced to linux and open source either either one direction or the other they either first discover open source and then through that hear about linux or they first hear about linux and then through that learn about open source which was your first that you that you came in touch with or knew about? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So as I mentioned, I was always interested in computers and especially operating systems and user interfaces, all kinds of things. And I installed every every operating system and new system that I could find. Right. Of course, in the beginning it was DOS uh, under under IBM PC, and then played with the different Windows versions, but was not really impressed. Then for a while, I was very fascinated by the by OS2, which was more advanced and it could do like multitasking. And because I, I was developing like uh, ray tracing um, applications at the time and on running this under DOS, uh, you basically have to like, you can't use your computer for like three days anymore because it was rendering. You can, there's nothing else you can do. <laughs> and with OS2, you can just have this rendering job in one window and do something else. And it was like mind blowing. So I really liked that. But then I think in 95 around, a friend of mine showed me uh, Linux, the first, um, I think it was Slackware on some floppy disk. I'm not really sure. Um, and I really liked it. I really wanted to play with it. Oh, there's so many more opportunities and to play around with it. But I, I failed for a while to install it at home. I tried different distributions. I, I don't remember which one. I think I tried at least two or three distributions until I finally found one that worked on my hardware somehow um, and then um, i really started to use it but as a pure like use of the software um, and then i discovered another friend showed me uh, the kde desktop so this was in 96 i think it was kde 1.0 beta something so it was super early <laughs> but i was really impressed not because of the desktop itself but because i learned that this was all done by volunteers not by there's no company doing it right it was just volunteers lots of people all over the world somehow over the internet are developing um, operating system user interface applications um, and they never met in person. They just do this everything like as a community. And I find this this was really mind blowing to me. 
And then I really got into, okay, how, how does this work? Okay, ah, there are like free software licenses that basically guarantee there's an equal playing field. These are basically the rules that everybody knows what to do with the work of the others. And this really was like, yeah, this was a revelation to me. So would you say that was your kind of your aha moment where the light bulb went off and you kind of understood for the first time how amazing the open source development model is and what it enables people to do? Definitely. This was the time. And then I really started to um, slowly dig into it more and more. I, I, I was reading the commit mailing list. There were mailing lists where all commits are like posted. And I was like, oh, hey, how, this person is doing that. Oh, this person is, oh, why, why is this person fixing this bug that was introduced by this other person? How does this work? And I was really interested about the technology, but also about the social um, behavior. How, how is it possible that 1,000 people work together? over the internet. I really find this fascinating. And for me, it was um, really clear that this model is the future. This kind of development model is really how software is developed in the future. And I was really convinced that um, that um, this software, and not KDE specifically, but, but Linux or GNOME or all this other um, software, that this will take over the world. Um, and I was really then getting more and more involved and then contributed to KDE and then became a core member and a board member and everything. And yeah, I was really one of those stupid people who were waiting for the year of the Linux desktop at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was really like, okay, if you do these two features and these bug fixes and these performance improvements, then we have everything ready. And then obviously everybody will see that it's so much better than Windows and everybody will switch to Linux and yeah, somehow... You're still waiting. It, it'll happen eventually. Sometime. <laughs> yeah. It's got to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting thinking back because back in the day, obviously the Linux community was a lot smaller. And I remember, you know, looking for information and mailing list being like the, the way you found the hardcore information, that or of IRC. Course. Of course. And it's unfortunate that nowadays with just how big the community is, there's I don't want to say that there's barriers to get to that because, of course, it's all still in the open. But it's usually a little harder to find the mailing list for a site because a forum is so much easier to find on the site. It's, you know, promoted mm. more. Mm. But back in the day, it was a whole lot clearer that, you know, the people in the community were the ones who were, were doing it. And like you said, you could look through the commits and see what the people were doing on what. And, of course, back then, hardware support was not as good as it is now. Like, we are spoiled ridiculously for hardware support now but yes. the fact that i can just grab a linux distro pretty much any single one and go to practically any computer and know probably it's all going to work out of the box if not there might be one thing here or there i need to tweak absolutely so with the ease of it being able to be used now which is by the way a fantastic thing i'm not complaining about that uh, it sometimes feels like that people don't have the visibility into how the development happens and that it is really just all these people working together. I mean, you kind of fundamentally know, yeah, this is a whole bunch of volunteers, but it's just that it's just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's made by a whole bunch of people. And people nowadays don't seem to see as much of the interaction of the developers while they're working on stuff. But I think that's a great thing for people to focus on because not only do you get to learn about all the new stuff that's coming, but you also get to, it brings you closer to the people that actually are making the software and seeing what they're thinking and how they're thinking. Mm. So with, with respect to development and you learning, 
would you say that you were primarily self-taught or did you take any courses at university to learn how to program or how did, how did that work out? So, um, I don't know. This might be one of the difference. You asked earlier about the difference between the U.S. and Germany. So um, I um, I attended um, university in Germany, um, computer science, um, and this was at a time, at least at the university where I studied, University of Tübingen, relatively new, um, a new thing, and most of the professors of the the teachers. They were actually uh, coming from the math department okay. so this was all very um relatively theoretical and not very practical so which i'm not complaining it's a good thing i learned a lot of things about i don't know complexity and like <laughs> a lo lots of interesting things that are actually useful nowadays but i barely learned any programming languages or anything about the internet or other or applications or something like that it was very theoretical but this for me was never a problem because i always like to teach things myself so all the programming languages i learned over the years they have always like learned some one new another one another one another one new technologies and uh, i mean yeah what i do nowadays has absolutely nothing to do with what i learned at university it's but it's i think the case for a lot of people but yeah, my education was very theoretical. Okay. What would you say when you look at, you know, the Linux and open source community in 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 perspective all of it? What do you see now as something that's being developed or improved that really gets you excited and encouraged for the future? Hmm. Uh, it's hard for me to name one one specific thing. I mean, you can name several if there's if there's a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make it easier. So I, I mean, I don't really know if this answers your question, but there's one thing I want to mention that um, what I really liked at the very beginning, and I talked about it earlier, is that when you're doing software, you're really in control of your computer. You can do what you want. You can build what you want. You basically your your imagination is is the limit. Um, and then um, with the internet, um, we we all got a lot more tools that we can do, like client server and peer to peer communication and and lot and networking, lots of and the social interaction between the two and lots of things to um, new, new tools, new toys to play with. Um, but what what we've seen is um, in the last I don't know ten fifteen years is that the whole internet is really like becoming more and more centralized. Um, so we have like these big cloud companies, cloud infrastructure, Amazon, Google, Microsoft Cloud, and so on. We have these communication tools, um, Facebook, um, Twitter, and all this like messenger services and so on. And I don't know, I think I see, I see a little of a trend from the 60s and 70s where Computers were really like mainframes controlled by like an elite of uh, of sysadmins, and most of the people were just users of the system. Then somehow the golden age of like 80s, 90s, and beginning of the 2000s were really like um, there were a lot of opportunity to build new things. And nowadays we're somehow moving back into a position where we're only users of systems. I mean, just like a, we're just using the the AWS API, uh, using a messenger, using whatever Twitter, using some other service. But we are 
no longer fully in control of everything. Um, and that's a bit of a trend that I don't like a lot. And I'm really excited because this was your question. I'm really excited about technologies and projects and in initiatives and, and, and protocols that somehow, yeah, turn this back um, to move us back into more decentralized world where we are can do more things right and not we have running our own service and we can invent a new service we can invent a new thing that happened that is running on the internet we know we're not we don't need to wait for amazon to invent a new service we can build a new service so there are like protocols initiatives for that and next we try to play a small role in that this is stuff that really that i find really interesting that i really like yeah it's interesting because the same what you were speaking of happened the same with hardware in corporations you know you had originally you would have one big giant mainframe and everyone would connect with a terminal and then that changed to okay everybody's going to have a system at their workstation and then that changed back to the thin client model where effectively it was just all running back on a server again and people had dumb terminals that they were using and then it started to shift back to, okay, now all the employees are going to have computers again, and they're going to have one at their workstation too. Now with the cloud, companies are trying to run basically clouds inside their own infrastructure that everyone is just using. So yeah. it's interesting to see that, that pendulum swing back and forth. And I hope that we can, we can break the trend that, like you said, we're seeing now of going to basic siloed systems and infrastructure managed by other people. Because obviously... If you're not in control of it, well, you have no control over it. You have no say on what gets done. Yeah. And with the way terms of service work, they can change them at any time. They're, of course, all retroactively applied. So even if you agreed to the terms when you started, the moment they change them, oh, well, you've kind of already agreed to them. And mm. if, if they now can do something with your data that you don't like, well, you either have to notify them within a certain window and delete your accounts and do all that, or you just have to accept that, okay, well, my data is being used in a way I don't want. Mm. Whereas if you host your own, if you're running your own small infrastructure, your own small private clouds, of course, then you have total control over all your information and all your company's information. Yeah. So I really hope that is a trend that continues because I think we went to having, you know, just the big monolithic companies to do everything because it was easier. And I think we're kind of paying the penalty now with the fact of how our data is being used. And it would be nice to be able to, to claw some of that back in, back into the individual area. I totally agree. It's the data aspect is very important. I, I of course, care a lot about data and privacy and security and a few years ago, I started an initiative with, together with some other people called the User Data Manifesto, which basically documents or yeah, basically asks for certain rights that every user should have about their data, that they can access their data, move their data to a different provider, encrypt their data, and so on. Um, and that's obviously a very, that's very important for me. But it's also very important for a lot of other things. I, I really think it is bad for creativity and innovation. The whole thing I said in the beginning that I was so blown away by um, by software development that you can do everything you want. Um, and but nowadays, if you just I don't know you you just use some services, but if the functionality is not there, it's hard to invent it. Um, and that's also very I don't know. I mean, it was also that at the time. 
And I, I don't want to say that everything else was better in the past, right? I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to say that. <laughs> but it was really fascinating because it was possible to understand everything. Right? It was possible to understand this is the code, this is the machine code. I, I also wrote like lots of um, code in assembler and, and, and machine language where I then really know, okay, this is how really the processor itself is developed. And then the processor is this thing on the main board and it, this is how it works and it's other, the connectors, how it connects to the memory and so on and so on. So you, you really under, could, was possible to understand everything. And I'm not sure like young people nowadays really understand what happens if they are, I don't know, use some API somewhere or post something on Twitter or do some other or sending an email. It's so, I don't know, it's abstracted away, um, you know, so much that it is, um, I don't know, you're somehow no longer fully in control. Maybe it's just a feeling of me <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm old, but it's, feels strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, I had a conversation recently with a friend of mine who's uh, an educator and they've been trying to bring open source into the classroom more um, to mm -hmm. give students that exposure. And it's been really interesting hearing them talk about how students nowadays, you know, they have an Android or an iPhone and pretty much for them, it's, well, this is what I can do on this phone because you know, this is the applications that I can install. And if I can install an application that lets me, I don't know, pop balloons or whatever, then that's okay, I can do that. But there seems to be kind of, I don't want to say a mental barrier, but they don't seem to then think, well, what other things can I do outside of what applications I can install? Exactly. And it's been, they said it's been really interesting as they bring open source into the classroom and they start using Raspberry Pis and they start teaching kids about, you know, here's a little small computer that you can use. And if you want to just come up with your own idea, you can you can make it and you can do it. And they said it's been great seeing students kind of realize, hold on a second, I don't have to just do what other people are letting me do. I can do whatever I want. And there's an empowerment with that of realizing that they actually themselves have the ability to do something that someone else hasn't done or that they can do something that they want that nobody else has done for them. And that is an amazing thing. And have you, with the, the NextCloud community and with other people getting involved, have you seen any instance where someone has, you know, joined and they've just kind of been a passive user, but then over time have gotten more involved? Um, I think this is, a, this is a pattern for a lot of uh, contributors. So I, I think you can see a lot is that you use the software. And the first is our user, and then you realize that, I don't know, you find a bug or there's a feature missing or whatever, and then you somehow realize, ah, oh, okay, it's actually open source, and then have a look, and then, ah, oh, maybe, maybe it's understandable what's happened there, and then, okay, this is like, there's an open source community, there's a discussion, there's a repository on the internet, and then I can send down a pull request and fix it. It can be just a small typo or something, or go to an event. Um, and meet the per people in person for the first time or join a um, video call or chat channel or whatever. And then, yeah, slowly doing more and more. And then you are suddenly uh, a core developer. So <laughs> this, is, this is how it happens to me. I mean, I was like, as I said earlier, I was just like reading mailing lists and reading commit messages for a long time. And then, and then there was like a, an event called Linux Talk. That's basically the, the Linux Day. It was at the time the biggest Linux show in Germany. 
or in Europe, in Europe, I think at the time. And it what it it happened like in a town, like an hour away from where I lived, and I said, okay, why not go there? And then I went there, and then okay, there was this KDE booth. Now that are the people that I know from the mailing list, let's talk to them. And then I don't know. Slowly, you're getting more and more into it. And um, once you realize that's not an important thing, by the way, at some point you have to realize that the software you're using are done by people just as you. Right? So it, everything we use, the whole internet, the computers, everything is done, developed by humans, like like you and me. And there is no difference. It's not like rule of nature or given by God or whatever, right? So it's all right. it's all us, right? And we can evolve it and we can change it and we can improve it. Um, and once you realize that, then then you see a lot of opportunities to do things. There's also something you can you can see nowadays in the discussions around internet services, social networks, and other things. Where, yeah, I mean, we all know and sometimes use services like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and and others. And then there's a lot of discussion: why are they good or what are why are they bad? What the problems are? But it's you really have to understand that this is not somehow came out of nothing. This was like done by developers like us, and it was done for a certain purpose. And it can also be done differently. And so I was, I was involved actually in the development of a social network at the end of the '90s, so super early. Of course, it was not called social network. It was called community web community, I don't remember, <laughs> but it was a social <laughs> network, <laughs> it was a social network. And um, yeah, and then it, it, it was very fascinating that, okay, I can, I don't know, maybe we give users some levels and then you have status and then, okay, how does the social dynamic change? And then maybe give them a, the opportunity to have a homepage. Uh, does this change anything or not? And can there, can there, um, can there be friends or can there be followers? What's the difference? And all those decisions, they have consequences and, and the world, how it looks, looks like today is like, yeah, created by, by developers and companies, um, like, like, like us. And if we see that some things are, yeah, not working well, I mean, there's a lot of criticism and discussions around what Facebook, obviously YouTube and Twitter are doing, if it like what it means for our politics and our society, this is all, this all can be changed. This is all in our hand, in our hand as, as software developers. Yeah, and it's also important to to you know remind people that with with respect to projects, you know, there are ways you can contribute that aren't just code. Like for instance, if we if we think about um, the KDE project, you know, documentation, a help with design, graphics. If you're listening and you aren't the best coder, or you don't know if you can pitch in in that spot. There are other ways in a project that you can pitch in and help. Um, it doesn't have to just be, you know, you're sitting down writing code and then and then submitting it. And I also think back to uh, back when I was the producer of the Linux Action Show, we had uh, Greg KH on, and he was talking about how one of the things that he did was to go out and speak with companies and the people in those companies and talk about, you know, why open source was important. And he made the comment of it's always kindergarten somewhere. And another thing that it always made me think of is everybody who's doing everything right now in software development originally didn't know how to do that. <laughs> everybody started off not knowing what they were doing exactly. and then slowly over time learning how to do things. So yeah. 
if, if you're listening and you're thinking, well, I, I don't really know that much, that's okay. All of us at one point didn't know much and we just applied <laughs> ourselves. We put in the effort and then so and we got there. And if you, if you join a good community, the people that are there who are developers, when they see that you have an interest, even if you're, you're not skilled, if they see you have an interest, they will help you. They will give you ideas. They will give you tips. Um, a friend of mine, Ken Moore, um, that I started learning QT from for work on the Lumina desktop. You know, when I first started, I was really bad with QT. I was horrible. But over time, with his help, and, you know, I'd write something and he'd be like, okay, that works. Here's, here's a better way to do it. Or you could have also done it this way. Just that exchange of information from a, an open community, I was able to learn so much so quick. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you can find a great community, there's definitely a way you can contribute. Again, whether it's code or helping with documentation on a project or graphics or whatever, there is always a way you can contribute. Projects always need people who are willing to help. That's that's so true. That's so true. And and um, um, to tell a secret, even if you're doing uh, open source for quite a while, um, you still don't stop learning. Right? <laughs> so it's not like, oh, now you're a developer. Now you know everything. No, it's not impossible to know everything. And also the world is changing so fast. So it's all about learning. And I agree. And that's another huge benefit of open source communities. You can learn from each other. You can really study the code from from each other and work together, collaborate. And that's yeah. A lot of people start with open source and then uh, later uh, during during their studies, during their college time, and then later use the skills that are that are learned there um, in the in a real job. Yeah. So on the on the community uh, side of things, I wanted to reference a blog post that you made in 2016 about Nextcloud. Mm -hmm. And you said, in the past few weeks, I've talked a lot about things we want to improve in NextCloud. Fair community involvement, transparency, no CLA, no closed source apps, a better business model, working closely with customers and partners. So I wanted to, I wanted to touch on this a little bit and kind of get your feelings as to why the community involvement and the transparency was such an important thing for you. Yeah, that's a huge topic because this blog post... Um... I wrote this blog post in a certain um, situation. So maybe I don't want to go into too much details because I've talked about the reasons a lot in, in other situations. But this was basically, um, I wrote this blog post a few weeks after uh, Nextcloud was founded. Um, and Nextcloud um, was, of course, founded um, as the successor of OwnCloud. Um, so OwnCloud was... Um, an open source project that I also founded. So <laughs> uh, that's why I sometimes give a talk with the title why I forked my own project. Um, so I started OwnCloud um, and I did some mistakes because it um, it turned into a, into a company um, where other people then suddenly had control which didn't understand open source and the community and basically... Um, yeah, ruined a lot of things. And this led then to a lot of frustration, not only um, on my side, but also the community with other core um, employees of the company, with customers, with everybody. And then this led to the to the situation that a lot of people, core people then left an own cloud and said, okay, let's start over. Let's fix those problems and let's create next cloud and let's do it better. Um, and this blog post um, was one of the blog posts where I tried to explain 
what we try to improve and what's really important. So what I mentioned there about transparency, for example, was of course, well, I wrote that because there was not, a, not enough transparency before. Um, and this is what we try to do better in Nextcloud. And I think we, we achieved that. And the same with community involvement was really, um, yeah, the old project was really started as a community-driven project, as I learned from KDE and other things, by the way. This is how I learned how to build a community. And that's that's what I did together with others. And then well, some uh, uh, managers who didn't understand this basically ruined it and was a lot of frustration. And of course, now we try to do it better. And I think if you look at some metrics, number of contributors, the number of users, feature stability, and lots of other metrics show that this worked out. Um, really happy about that. But this blog post basically was basically tried to say in a nice way um, <laughs> what the problems in the past were and what we want to change with Nextcloud. But you would say that you feel that now, four years later, what you've wanted to achieve with Nextcloud, you've been successful in that? Oh. <laughs> well, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the type of person who is always ambitious and there's always the next step and there's always like uh, more that we can do. But in, 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 in this area, what I wrote in this blog post here, yeah, I think we, we achieved most of those things. I mean, Nextcloud is now run as a real open source project, free software project. We have a lot of volunteers. We don't have a, um, a certain contributor license agreement. We don't have dual licensing. We don't have proprietary pieces. We don't have any um, yeah, other weird things. So it is um, yeah like a real open source project. Because there's also a company which is um, trying to find people to write the software. But I think we do this in a in a way that is um, fair to everybody. Basically, we are selling um, enterprise subscriptions um, for support and services and certifications and security patches in a certain time and workshops and trainings and all those stuff that a, that a, that companies want and need. And this is how we make our money. But the software itself is 100% open source and owned by the public, basically. Right? So the company has no ownership of the software at all. It's just HGPL and GPL software. And I think this is some one of the things we changed and it seems to be successful. Yeah. Okay, good. So the last thing I wanted to ask was, uh, what advice would you give for younger people who are interested in getting into technology or to, to phrase it another way, you know, if you were, what are, what are some things you wish you knew when you were younger that you know now? <laughs> I think, I think I had too much respect from like real developers, as you mentioned, <laughs> <laughs> or um, I was too shy. I, I think I was too shy. I, I think I was not as good as others. It actually took me quite a while to say, okay, I also can do something, I can contribute something, and then also I can put it on the internet to basically show it to everybody. That's one of those things with open source, by the way, right? If you have, if your source code is uh, is public, then, and, and source code is never perfect, right? It's always like it has some hacks and workarounds here and missing documentation there and it's not using a certain pattern there and it's never perfect. Um, but you need to, you really should have the, the confidence to show it to everybody and and then to learn. Not let not be shy, and that's especially also um, um, one of uh, uh, things that are especially problematic if you are 
um, from an underrepresented group um, in, 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 in IT, software development and open source, then it's the feeling it's sometimes even stronger that you're not really part of it, and that you're not as good and that you uh, can never learn that I can never be as good as others. And I think I would encourage everybody to just like be self-confident, be part of it and contribute and putting putting your work out and don't be afraid of criticism. And then, um, yeah, and then you can be part of a community, you can grow and can learn together. And yeah, just don't be afraid of uh, of, of other more senior people, I would say. Okay. Well, Frank, I think that's a great spot to stop on. Uh, thank you again for taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. I greatly appreciate it. And I look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.